Welcome to the first episode of the podcast, The Way Out Is In. I'm Joe Confino. And I am Brother Fab Hu. And welcome to the first episode of The Way Out Is In. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the meaning of The Way Out Is In and about Thich Nhat Hanh and the Plum Village monastic Zen community. Also, at the end, we're going to have a special guided meditation by you, Brother Fab Hu. That's right. The Way Out Is In. So, Fap Hu, why don't we introduce ourselves? Why don't you go first? Hello, friends. My name is Brother Fap Hu. It translates as Dharma Friend. I am a Zen Buddhist monk in the tradition of Plum Village under my teacher, Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh. And I have been a monk since I was 14 years old. And uh, I am now living in the Upper Hamlet in Plum Village with my community. And we're just like everyone in the midst of a pandemic. And we've been practicing with, uh, with uh, each other and how to nourish ourselves, take care of our difficulties, take care of the fear, the anxiety. And through this, we had the idea of creating a podcast to share our experience in our life in the monastery and how we apply the practice to the suffering that comes to us in our daily lives. Great. And that's who I am. And Joe, can you introduce yourself? Yes. Um, so my name is Joe Confino. Um, I currently live uh, a stone's throw away from Plum Village. And um, I've been a journalist for the last 40 years, um, focusing mainly on business and finance. I was a Wall Street correspondent for the Daily Telegraph. I was an executive editor at The Guardian and then the last five years, I was on the senior leadership team of the HuffPost in New York. And um, the reason I came to live right next door to Plum Village is because uh, this is the place where I truly came home to myself. This is the place where I found a sense of real happiness and serenity. And, um, and the practices of Plum Village have been uh, really key to... Uh, bringing more happiness and joy and understanding to my life. And, um, and so, so this podcast is a sort of great way, in a sense, to share the joy and the happiness I've had through the teachings and, and spread it, because I, I think that's one of the things Plum Village is here to do, isn't it, Fapu? It's correct. Um, we are here to share what we practice in our daily life. And our purpose of creating this podcast is also to let the listeners from all around the world have a glimpse of um, the life of monks and nuns in the community, as well as to hear our stories of how we uh, let go of our ambitions of the world and devote ourselves to a path of understanding, awakening, love, compassion, and to put it more simply, just to become nicer people, nicer human beings. 
Yeah, and it's, it's a great way of putting it. And I, I was thinking, because in, in Plum Village, you sometimes talk about what is your aspiration, which is a, mm. what is your intention in life. And um, so I was thinking about my intention for this podcast. And it's really, for me, about saying, how do we live a good life? How do we live a better life? You know, that, that the, most of us live very, very busy, complex lives, are often dealing with very difficult situations but actually, there's always a way through. And um, and so for me, this is about how do we share and support people in finding a path through life in a way that um, brings them balance and allows them to generate more compassion, more love, more understanding, because that's what we need in the world. Yeah, I totally agree. And today we still face so much discrimination and so much fear and anxiety and so much violence in the world. And no matter where we are living, we we all suffer together when we see this kind of news, we hear this um, reports of discrimination, racism, and we can see that we all suffer, but our teacher teaches us, but if we know how to suffer, we will suffer much less. And that's why I feel like having a chance to look at um, the suffering together through this podcast, we can find a way out of difficult situation. Yeah. And, and, and um, so this podcast series is called The Way Out Is In. And, and we're, we're going to, you know, jump into that in the next segment. But I, I think essentially it speaks a great truth that that it's through our suffering that we find answers. And I I was just having a conversation with someone today and he was saying, it's through collapse, through divorce, through problems in our life. We would not wish them on ourselves, but actually they are always opportunities to find a deeper sense of who we are and how we respond to that. So I think that's one of Thich Nhat Hanh's great teachings is about sort of actually, if you sit well with your suffering, you get great insights. That's very correct. And I... I always remember one of my teachers um, teaching to us is that don't discriminate between suffering and happiness. We have to see the interconnection between the two. If we look at a flower and we see its beauty, but we know the nature of impermanence, which is one day it will become garbage. It will become compost. But if we know how to take care of that compost, it will become a flower again. So in this light, we can see suffering as an ingredient that can help us learn, can help us look deeply to overcome that suffering for it to become well-being. It can be peace, it can become um, happiness in our daily life, and it can just be understanding, learning, looking deeply from our suffering will give us this kind of insight. Yeah. And and, and just finally, I, th- I think one of the great things about this series is that, you know, I feel very fortunate because I, every year I've been coming to Plum Village Mm. And and having this deep experience of what it's like here. But for most people in the world, they can't come here. And I think one thing about the pandemic is that what it's uh, shown up for Plum Village is, is actually you can reach out in new ways and reach people. And so so I think one of the things I would like this series to be is that that at the end of it or during it, people will say, actually, I've been in Plum Village. You know, mm. it's not just I'm listening to podcasts, but I, I have this sense of feeling... Um, a response that that I'm part of this community because I think one of the things about the Plum Village tradition is is it's about community. Mm-hmm. And one of my hope for the podcast is to be able to um, invite different members of my community 
so that we can hear their stories, hear their experience. And for all of our friends listening, uh, Plum Village is an international community and the foundation of our community are the monks and nuns who live and train here 24-7. And most of us uh, devote our whole life towards this path. And in this community, we have over... Um, resident in Plum Village, over 160 monks and nuns. And that's a lot. And that's a lot of um, beautiful characteristic, uniqueness and different walks of life that have come together to Plum Village. And for me, that was one of the the most interesting aspect when I first came to Plum Village. Even though Plum Village is um, close to Bordeaux, uh, south of France, but when you come to Plum Village, you see this international community of many friends from so many different parts of the world, so many different culture. But you get to see that they all come with an aspiration of wanting to understand and learn the practice of mindfulness, which is the practice of awareness. And coming to Plum Village, you have a chance to meditate, a chance to learn about the way of taking time to enjoy a step, taking time to sit, taking time to eat, and which we call them sitting meditation, walking meditation, eating meditation. And uniquely, just living in the community, you have a chance to be exposed to so many walks of life. And I think that's also one of the uniqueness of an international community. And if you're open, you will get to hear so many stories, see so many experience and then learn from so many sharings from monks, nuns, and of all the lay friends that come to Plum Village. Yeah, this, this is such a, a rich tradition. And um, that's that's why I, I'm looking forward to this because actually I, I we can just go on endlessly because there's so much mm-hmm. to learn. And um, one of the things that I've always been most impressed with Thich Nhat Hanh is about his the way he's developed this whole idea of engaged Buddhism or applied Buddhism, which is that this is not about learning to sit for the sake of sitting, but this is learning to be more present, more engaged, more involved in order to help the suffering in the world. And and we know that Thich Nhat Hanh has been absolutely engaged in some of the key issues, in fact, been way ahead of the key issues around things like the environment. Um, things like um, around science and Buddhism, you know, there's such a rich tradition. And it's all about saying, actually, this is not just about learning for the sake of it. It's learning in order to be better people ourselves in order to make the world a better place. Yes. And I hope that in this podcast, we will get to also explore the life of Thich Nhat Hanh, my teacher, our teacher, because that will allow us to see how he was able to master the practice in order to share it to the world. And one of his um, um, sharing that really stayed with me is that in we call our teacher Thai. Um, it means teacher in Vietnamese. So f- from time to time you hear, we address Thich Nhat Hanh as Thai, and that's who we are speaking about. Um, so Thai would say that Throughout his life, he has, he has had many teachers, but one of the teachers that taught him the most is suffering. And through suffering, he was able to find the practices that can really help us in the present moment. And it's not about 
devotional practice or wishing to reach enlightenment, but it's a practice that we can use and cultivate so that we can master our mind, be aware of our emotions, our feelings, and be capable of understanding what is happening right here, right now, inside of us and around us. And this is some of the ingredients that have come together to make the teachings of Plum Village, which we call it applied Buddhism, engaged Buddhism. Yeah, it's in fact, I remember when I went to Bhutan, I went to Bhutan thinking this is the very heart of Buddhism. This is, I'm at the source. And when I met one of the uh, senior lamas there, he was saying that um, that they were getting actually some of the Plum Village monastics to fly to Bhutan from the Hong Kong a sort of meditation center because the monastics in Bhutan were up in the mountains. They didn't want to come down. They didn't want to speak to young people about the problems they were facing. So they were actually bringing the Plum Village monastics all the way from Hong Kong to, to work with the young people. And, 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 and in, in Bhutan, it was very devotional. The, the Buddhist was very devotional, but, but I didn't feel the essence. And I think one of the things that I think is so profound about Thai's teachings is he, he knows deeply the teachings. He studied all his life but he brings it into a very, an enormous simplicity. Not, it's not a simplicity, a naive simplicity, but, but just a purity, an essence that allows anyone to actually grasp it and then practice it. It's, it's just an extraordinary way that he has. Mm. Yes, I think when we become monastic, one of our biggest aspirations is to relieve suffering, is to help people suffer less. And... If we find ways through the Dharma, the Buddhist teaching that helped us relieve our own suffering, it's only natural that we want to be able to offer that to many other people in the world. And But what is unique about Tai is that he didn't only think about the monastic community because not everyone will become monks and nuns. Let's just face it, right? It's, it's not easy, but we see that the monastic community cannot also be the only light of the world. They're not the only ones who should be um, striving for enlightenment and happiness and peace and love. Actually, our world needs a Buddha everywhere. One of our teacher's famous quote is, one Buddha is not enough. We all have to wake up. We all have to realize that we have that capacity to be more loving, to be more compassionate to have more insight in our daily life. And that's why as he developed his practice and as he began his career as a teacher, he saw that if I am able to help myself because I have this seed of understanding, of insight, mindfulness, concentration in me, then every single person also has those seed in them. And I would just help them recognize those seed in them and let them grow those seed in their mind, just like a gardener. And I, I think this is very unique and this is something that helps all walks of life see that even if you're not Buddhist, you can practice mindfulness because mindfulness is awareness. And one of the core teachings of Plum Village is the awareness of mindful breathing. And Tai says, if you're alive, you're breathing. And if you are breathing, then you have the right to practice mindfulness. And I really like this approach and this guideline because it, it is all about openness, to be free from views.
So, Brother Fapu, before we dive into the reason we've called this uh, podcast The Way Out Is In, um, you know, some of our listeners will know of Thich Nhat Hanh. He's one of the most uh, well-known Zen teachers uh, of the last century. But just tell us a bit about who Thay is. Thay is a very gentle man. <laughs> Thay became a monk at a very young age also. He joined the monastic path when he was only 16. And one of his aspirations to follow this path was he grew up during a time of war. And um, during that time, it was the French war when Vietnam was uh, at war with France. And around him was so much um, war, violence, and there wasn't so much peace. So he used to tell us, one of his first conditions to, to, to seek spirituality was one day he saw an image of the Buddha on a magazine. And the artist was, was really good because he was able to transmit the energy of peace in this drawing. And around Tai was people who were angry, violent, in despair. So when a young child sees an image like that, it gives a very strong impression. So through that magazine cover, he he wanted to become someone who is able to have that peace in his daily life. And so when he seek um, the path of um, becoming a monk, he went to um, a, the temple. It's called Tuhiu Pagoda, and it's still there today. And it's considered like our root temple because that's where our teacher ordained and began his novice trainings. And through his upbringing as a monk, after the French War, then came the Vietnam War, which in Vietnam they call it the American War. And once again, the country was faced with destruction, violence, killing, so much suffering. And he had an aspiration that I am also part of this country, but I will not take up arms. I will not join the North or the South. I don't want to contribute to killing. I don't want to contribute to violence. And Thay asked, but what can I do as a young monk? What can I do to help my country? So Thay met up with a lot of young monks and nuns who were very confused because of the war and wanted to know how we can contribute to peace during this time of turbulence. And he also was giving teachings at that time to many um, communities, especially at temples. And he was a very bright young monk who had new ways of sharing the Dhamma, which was very untraditional at that time. And so he had a very strong following of young practitioners, um, both monks and nuns, as well as lay people who are normal people. And he had the aspiration that spirituality doesn't just belong in a temple. It is a way of life and it can be shared for everyone in the world. And then he started to cultivate and to teach how to sit, how to walk and how to have a peace of mind during this turbulence time. And then he started a community for young people who would come together and they would go to villages in order to rebuild villages and communities that were being um, destroyed by the bombs and the guns. And through this, he slowly started to build a following and a community. 
And later on, the war escalated and he had the aspiration to, to call for peace around the world. And through this action, he went to travel in America as well as Europe. And he went to many conferences to share about the war and why we have to bring an end to the war. And through this journey, he met uh, Martin Luther King Jr., which they had an amazing connection. And through the stories, um, which I hope we can go into later on, mm. um, which I think will bring a lot of um, insight to the community. Because one of the things that they both connected on was to help change society, we cannot do it alone. We need a community. And in the Buddhist language, we call it a Sangha. And Martin Luther King Jr. called that kind of community the beloved community. So throughout Tai's teaching, a lot of the times he would refer to our community also as the beloved community to honor that friendship he has had with Martin Luther King. So Tai, when I met him as a young person, my first time meeting him was um, when I was nine years old, my first time to Plum Village. And I just remembered this gentle man wearing a brown robe with a bald head. Um, but there was real peace that was around him. And whenever I had the chance to walk close to him or sit um, close to him, I just felt so at peace. And I think this is something that was very common among the experience of many people who had the chance to be around our teacher. And I think it's because of all the suffering that he went through that he was able to cultivate stability and cultivate understanding so that peace is, is always present in him. And our teacher, Tai, he is someone who is very engaged with um, the changes of the world. And because he's so engaged, he's always finding ways to share the Dhamma, share the teaching so that it is applicable for today's day and age. And I think this is one of his um, wonderful characteristics that help make the Plum Village teaching and mindfulness become more and more approachable to today's suffering. And, and one of the things, uh, Brother Fapu, which... Um which I'm really looking forward to this podcast series is to hear many of your stories because you were, you're not just, uh, you are also a simple monk and you have been Thai's attendant, personal attendant for I think 17 years or so. So um, just give us, uh, we're going to keep coming back to this hopefully, but just give us a flavor, just give us a sense of what it was like to be so close to him. Mm. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Um, yeah, this is one of my greatest blessings in my life, was, which was having a chance to be um, Thai's personal attendant, which is like an assistant, a support. And it's actually part of the monastic training. We have a chapter in our novice training, which is learn to take care of your teacher. And so we all had a chance to, to, um, to be his attendant. It was almost like a rotation. And we are trained before the day comes for us to attend Thai. And some people, they look forward to it because they have a chance to be close to a Zen master. And some people are very afraid because Thai is a Zen master. And 
he's very mindful and he's very he has this this air around him which is like um which 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 tells us that we there's a certain way that we can cultivate ourselves so that we can be more mindful and enjoy life much more and if we don't have that capacity it can bring fear in us because we may feel we're being judged by our teacher and so but for me I also had that fear on my first day. I didn't know how, what Thai would think about me if I'm doing my task correct, and so and so, and so I had this whole perception. But the reality of it was Thai is so kind, and I think a lot of people only know him through books or see him through Dharma talks on YouTube, or if you had the chance to be in a retreat, you see him um, on the podium giving offering um, a Dharma talk and. When he's in that position and giving a teaching, you you can clearly see a teacher, but a lot of people don't get to experience Thai kind of like behind the scene. And one of the uniqueness of Thai is he's very normal, and he's very gentle, but he's very present. And when you're very present, the way he is, you can feel in the gentleness there is stability, there is strength. There is awareness, and that is that. That's a power that is. It it really helped me understand that the daily practice can become such a powerful energy. And so, one last thing I would say that I benefit a lot from was being around him. I didn't have to put an effort into being mindful, or put an effort into learning to be aware. When I'm around him, I'm just in the zone of awareness. And and one of the things um, my experience of Thai is, and and the reason I think people trust him so much is because he embodies what he says. You know, there's so many people in the world who might say the right thing or mm. what you consider to be the right mm. thing, but you don't truly feel it, or you there's there's often a gap. I know sometimes I say things and there's a gap between what I say and what I might be feeling underneath. But with Thai, it's like I have never experienced him other than who he truly is, and and I think, you know, one of the things in this age of uh, of information and disinformation and um, celebrity and gossip, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is that it's hard to know who or what to trust. Mm. And with Thai, I've always known that what he says is who he is, and who he is is what he says. And that, for me, is to deeply trust and have faith. Yeah, Joe. I I think it would be interesting if you can share your first experience in interviewing him, because that's how we first connected, <laughs> and this was like way back in what two thousand and nine, ten, two thousand and ten, Nottingham, England. Exactly. And as part of his um, his attendant, our task is to filter who he his schedule and who he meets his. Um, Interviewers, etc., and we we have also um, a strict policy in keeping the time, his time schedule, and we're always um, mindful of uh, how much energy he's putting out through the day because his schedule of teaching is sometimes very packed. And I I think I remember meeting you That's at right. the, in Nottingham, and you were coming up, and I said, Joe, you only have 15 minutes for this interview. But of course, it wasn't 15 minutes. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Well, I, you know, I thought I was meeting the mafia boss, to be honest. 
because because it was my first experience of uh, of any form of Buddhism actually, and I, I remember I was told to wait at some street corner, and someone would come and pick me up, and 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 this uh, bright shiny English nun um, came and sort of brought me up and and escorted me, and, and Ty was staying in in a house across the fields because it was on the campus of the university. And she said, follow me. And I, I started talking to her. She said, walking, no talking. In other <laughs> words, when we walk, we walk. When we talk, we talk. And I was like, wow, what, what's all this about? So, so we, we march in silence, um, very mindfully, um, <laughs> to the house. And, and then I I'm, I'm, I'm wait outside. And I think you come out and say, you, you, know, you have 15 minutes. And, I, and then I'm invited in. And it felt like the sort of the, the money counting operation of a mafia <laughs> team because there was ties sitting there completely like the boss and there, there was all this busyness around him of all these monastics doing stuff um and and yet Ty was sitting there absolutely you know serene and stable and I thought wow this is I'm meeting the boss and then as you say I mean just during the interview just I think it's his is exactly what you say it's his presence mm. it's um you you know you're not in the presence of a in quotes, normal human being. You're in the presence of someone who is in the flow, mm. who is who is present to life. And 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 as you say, it's 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 hard. You know, I'm finding it. You know, this is a podcast. We're supposed to be using words, mm -hmm. but but it, it's it's hard at this point because it's hard to describe it mm. apart from to say, um, I recognised who he is, right, and. Um, and and I I got it, you know. And after that point, I thought, you know, I can. I want to be part of this. I want to. Um, I want to deepen my understanding of this community because it's got something to offer me. Mm. I did make you tea, right? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't remember. In the, when you're meeting the mafia boss, you have to, you know, you, yeah, you don't yeah. focus on anything else. <laughs> But Brother Pepe, we we um, we were thinking about the name for this podcast series, yeah. and, and we both sort of really fell very quickly upon um, the way out is in, and uh, and that is so. Ty is very well known for his calligraphies, um, which are sort of very very profound, and and mm -hmm. the way out is is in is one of his calligraphies. So, but but before we sort of go specifically into the meaning of that. Can you just tell us about calligraphies? What, what's all that about? Calligraphy is a form of art. And it is it takes you into a place where you have to be mindful of every action because you want to be able to contribute a piece of art that can be offered to someone or it could be a reminder. And in our form of calligraphy in the Zen tradition, um, a lot of monasteries is a part of training of the mind and the body as one. And if you ever have the chance to pick up this hobby or this art, you will see at the beginning, it's much harder than you think because the brush itself is soft. But when you place your, your brush with the ink on the piece of paper, in your mind, you want to create something. But in reality, it comes out maybe something 
very ugly or something that you're not very proud of. And so I, I started to train in this too, because our teacher did so much calligraphy. And one of my tasks is to help him prepare the ink, to help him prepare the paper. And I would stand behind him to watch him do calligraphy. So I started to have a liking to it too, because I also felt peace during this moment that you're creating. And the first time I did it, I remember how disappointed I was because I have seen Tai do it hundreds of times. And I can say, in theory, I get it. But in reality, it's not what it is. And so I started to see that to practice this is also an art of learning to let go. Let go of your expectation. Let go of what you want. And like you said, we have to learn to be in the flow. And the more you do it, just like the practice, at the beginning, it can be difficult. But the more you do it and do it, you cultivate a skill and it becomes more natural. And so calligraphy is a way of also quieting the mind. The more busy your mind is, it, the, the art itself will be less profound. That's, that's my own experience. It might be different for other people. And... Tai's um, practice in doing calligraphy is to put his teaching into a few lines so that people can bring it home. And, and Tai would say, it's like having a piece of Plum Village in your home. And every time you, you walk past it, it's a reminder for you to come back to your practice. So calligraphy is an art, it's a reminder, and it's our way of seeing it's also a piece of Tai. It's a piece of his teaching that he has transmitted to us. And so when we both were looking for a title and we both said, the way out is in, we both clicked and we both said, yes, this is going to be the title of our podcast. Yeah. So do you want, do you want to just um, talk a little bit about what, what that meaning is for you? Yeah. That phrase, the way out is in, it's like the definition of meditation because the two wings of meditation is the first wing is learning to stop, learning what we, um, what we, some of you may know it as samatha. But stopping here, it doesn't mean physically stopping. It means stopping from our mind running after a desire, stopping ourselves from being angry all the time, stopping ourselves from all these habits that bring us suffering. So to meditate, it means to learn to have time to cultivate ourselves and able to be in the present moment. And to be in the present moment, we have to learn to bring our mind home to the body. So that's stopping. And the second wing of meditation is looking deeply, vipassana. And sometimes we can see it as insight. And if we stop, our mind will settle and then we can have a chance to see things more clearly, see things that are happening inside of us and understand it more. Know what are the roots of this thought? What are the roots of this feeling? And at the same time, when you see it and you understand it more, then you have some clarity. And, and sometimes it can be seen as an insight and a fruit of our deep looking. So, a lot of the times in the world, we, we, we run after happiness 
and we see it as something outside of us. Or we're looking for a way out of a situation and we look for it outside of us. We might want to find find the reason outside of us in order to blame, etc. It's very natural. It's a very natural tendency. We all have it. But this phrase, the way out is in, is telling us a lot of the answer that we are looking for actually begins from within us. So, um, so you're much more profound than me because um, <laughs> my experience is um, when you when you look at you know the whole of society and um, all the the challenges we face, whether it's climate change, biodiversity loss, whether it's about social injustice, that all comes from a system, a, a Western-based system that is based on trying to find happiness through gaining things outside of ourselves. So. Fame, status, money, sex, all those things are, are things that are outside of us that we think are going to make us happy. And actually what we realize is that actually the, the place we are at in society now is actually the result of that thinking, which mm. is actually if I get a better job, if I get more money, if I have a more beautiful wife, if I have a younger husband, if I whatever it is, they are fake ways of finding happiness. And, and I think the reason is, is because people are scared of their suffering. Mm. I, think, I think with a loss of a sort of a, a religious or spiritual framework to many people's lives, all we are left with to fill our sort of gaping hole of sort of desire and suffering is, is, to, is to embed ourselves in, uh, in consumption. And, and the result is that, that the future of humanity is literally at risk. And I think we've got to a place in society where we realise actually the way out is not out, mm. but actually we have to see the world with very new eyes, very fresh eyes. And that is to recognise that, as you say, that we have to look inside of ourselves. I, I remember uh, there's a, a book called um, The Hero with a, a Thousand Faces, and uh, it's by a very famous author. And he he looks at all the the myths of the world and sort of boils them down to sort of the story of the hero. And, and, he, and so he, there's this whole book about this heroic journey. And then in his last page, he said, you know, for, for, for most of the history of humanity, people have explored outside of themselves to find the answers to life, you know, whether mm. it's the, the 16th century explorers going out in their boats to find new worlds. And he said, this era, the only way is in the mm. great mystery is to explore within to find the answers because we now, I think, have come to a place in society where we recognise that this is a dead end and actually we are not going to progress as a civilization or, or, or be at peace with ourselves or, or with nature if we don't actually go deep into ourselves for the answers. Yeah, and I think the more we understand ourselves, then the more present we will be and the more profound we will be. And when we are more present, then our contribution will be more profound. And I think this is very important and it's very hard to also understand if you don't have a practice or if you don't have um, those with experience to share with you 
the way out. And, I, and, and a lot of the time I have experienced, like in my monastic life, you know, people may think that, you know, we just look at a wall all day <laughs> or we're in the forest and just contemplating the trees and growing vegetables. You know, we do some of that. But actually the reality of our community is that we are very engaged and we have a lot of organizing to do. We host um, a lot of retreats and a lot of people. And I always joke that when there's people, there's suffering. <laughs> <laughs> so when there's people, there's always going to be situations that we have to be able to handle. And in my practice is, is that you can never expect a perfect retreat. You can never expect a perfect environment, even though we want that, but the reality tells us differently. But how you take care of the situation is, is what you gain. Yeah. And it, and it's also challenging this crazy way of life, isn't it? I mean, it's like what you describe is, you know, often we're trying to we're trying to be solution orientated, we're leading very busy lives, we want a fast answer, mm-hmm. let's find the answer now. Whereas actually often, you know, it's a bit like the story of the the hare and the tortoise. Yeah. That 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 the hare runs off at a huge space and you think, well, the the, the hare's going to win the race and because the tortoise is just plodding along, but actually the hare runs out of speed, runs out of puff and uh, stops. And then while he's resting the tortoise, who's going very slowly, just sort of uh, walks slowly past. And and so that that's also a, another aspect of the way out is in. The way out is to often, paradoxically, that speed that you go faster if you slow down. And actually, Fappi, which reminds me that, that this seems to be one of the things about Thich Nhat Hanh, mm. which you've experienced and, and I think lots of other people have said is that that Thai uh, walks so mindfully and slowly, but seems to go so fast. And I, you have a story about, I think, when you, he was in a supermarket once or something. But you, and just tell us about that, because that is also the way out is in. Yeah. So Thai always teaches us, like, whenever we have a chance to walk, that's a chance to practice walking meditation. So he usually jokes with us. Actually, not joke. He instructs us and it's a teaching itself. He said, there's only one style of walking in Plum Village. And that is mindful walking. And mindful walking is to enjoy each step. It's really to learn to be on the planet. One of my experience I had with Tai is um, as part of his, as one of his key uh, attendants, we would travel with him when he goes on teaching tours. And we would travel... And we would stop through many airports. And I remember one time we were, we had a transfer at, um, I think it was in Italy. And as we got off our plane and we were walking to our gate and we arrived close to our new gate and suddenly the announcement says, this gate is being changed to the next, another letter of the gate. And it means it's quite a distance. And at that moment, we knew that it was boarding and we were late. And Tai looked at all of us and he said, it's time to run. <laughs> and we all with Tai were running. And, you know, I, was, I, was, I had a backpack, uh, his carry on, my carry on. And we were just running through, sprinting through the airport. I think it was quite a sight <laughs> because whenever, wherever Tai went, he would bring his community about 20 or 30 monastic to support the retreat. So could you imagine 20 to 30 monastic in bald head with brown robes sprinting through the airport? And that moment, Tai would say, 
this is being mindful that we will be late, so we have to run. <laughs> it's funny what you were mentioning about um, sitting and walking because one of the times when I interviewed him for the Guardian, I said I was saying, "Ty, you know, um, there's you know the world. There's so many things to be done in the world. You know how how do you stay stable? Mm. How do you how do how do you cope?" And he said, "I have learned to do." one or two things very well. He said, actually, I have learned to walk and I have learned to sit. Mm. And that is, that is everything. That's enough. Wow. And, and, I, and I remember thinking, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the Zen master. You've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers around the world. You've got monasteries in mm. m all over the world. And you're telling me, actually what you're good at is sitting and walking mm. I, and and of course when i reflected on it i thought oh yeah he's right because actually the basis of everything he's created is his sitting mm. and his breathing mm. and his mindful walking and actually that is the basis of everything and if he hadn't focused on that then actually all this extraordinary you know parallax press his publishing house mm. Everything he's created wouldn't actually exist. Right. I think one of, an, another thing that I've learned when being with Tai was learning to be comfortable in the present moment. And that is a skill. That is, that is like years of practice. Because whatever situation we were in, I always felt Tai was comfortable in that position because he knew how to sit, he knew how to walk, and he knew how to handle that moment. And so you always felt safe. You always felt security. You always felt stable, even though you're meeting turbulence. But it's okay because there's going to be a way out. And it starts with him being in the present moment. And I think that is why we would like to call this podcast The Way Out Is In. Great. Wonderful. Brother, um... We've talked a lot about leading busy lives and you've talked about um, bringing us back to the present moment and um, finding our stability. So um, how about you showing us how it's done, giving us a short meditation? I would love to, dear friends, whether you are listening to this as you are sitting on a train, um, doing dishwashing, whatever you are doing, just uh, gently Become aware of your in-breath and out-breath. Just bring your mind, become aware of the breathing. We can say gently, as I breathe in, I know this is an in-breath. As I breathe out, recognize this is your out-breath. Breathing in, breathing out. We don't have to force our breath to be long or short. If it is short, let it be short. If it is long, let it be long. What is important is that we are connected to our breath. So breathe in. You're aware this is my in-breath. Breathe out. I am aware this is my out-breath. 
so simple, so easy. As you breathe in, you can feel the in-breath coming into your whole body, nourishing every cell in your body. As you breathe out, allow yourself to relax with the out-breath. In, I'm nourishing my body. Out, I feel relaxed. Whatever our mind is thinking of, just gently remind it. Let it know that I am focusing on my in-breath. I'm focusing on my out-breath. If it helps, you can put your hand on your abdomen, your tummy. And as you breathe in, you can feel the breath, your tummy rising as you breathe in in your tummy falling as you breathe out. You don't have to think about the breathing. You can feel it. Breathing in, my abdomen is rising. Breathing out, your abdomen is falling. Naturally rising, naturally falling. Now let us bring a little attention to our body. We call this mindfulness of the body. As I breathe in, I bring awareness to my body. Let us start from our forehead, our eyes, our cheeks, our lips. We can offer ourselves a smile. We are not smiling for anyone. We are smiling to ourselves, allowing us to be in the present moment. And bring awareness to our shoulders. If there's tension in the shoulders, you can relax the shoulders. Aware of our two arms our hand, fingers. If there's any tension in our hands, arms, just let go. Let the arm rest. Let the hand rest. Breathing in, give a little gratitude to our hearts. It is beating day in, day out, to pump blood, grateful for our heartbeat. Breathing out, I smile to my heart. Now we bring awareness to our, our two legs, our feet, walking every day for us, letting us see the many places that we arrive at. Give it some love, give it some care. If there's any tension, any pain, give it our care, our love, our gratitude. 
Thank you, my body, allowing me to be healthy, allowing me to experience life. So breathing in, my mind is in my body. Breathing out, I am fully present in the here and the now. Breathing in, this is the present moment. Breathing out, this is a wonderful moment. Even if there's noise around me, there's distraction around me, but I am present for me, my body, myself. I am here. I am aware that life is around me and inside of me. Breathing in, I am grateful for life. Breathing out, I smile to life. Thank you friends for practicing with us. I hope this guided meditation has allowed you to touch a little peace in the present moment, wherever you are. Yeah, thank you, brother. I, I did touch a little peace, so um, that was wonderful. Thank you. I hope this podcast has offered you some insight into the practice and has given you some uh, more understanding of how we can see spiritual practice in our daily life. And um, to all our listeners um, please join us for our next episode and we're going to talk about the art of impermanence that everything changes um, and just as a reminder you can find us on many platforms you can find us on Spotify on Apple Podcasts on YouTube and of course on the wonderful Plum Village app and this podcast is only possible thanks to Plum Village and thanks to the Tikkihan Foundation and to all of you who are listening with us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Uh, be at peace and go well. The way out is in. Oh.